You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is episode 66 of season 3, 131 of The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, May 30th. 2021. I am Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I am recording this from Greeley, Colorado, where we now reside. Today we're going to talk about unidentified flying objects, and I'm actually pretty excited about this episode. I think some of you will find interesting what I have to say. But first of all, I want to talk just a little bit about Kamala Harris. Vice President of the United States of America, and her tweet coming into Memorial Day weekend, all it said was, enjoy the long weekend. Enjoy the long weekend. What a nice thing to say. That's such a nice sentiment. Thank you, Vice President Harris, for wishing us an enjoyable long weekend. But wait a second, why do we have a long weekend? And why not mention the reason why we have a long weekend? Is that all it is? Is it just a three-day weekend? Or is there a purpose for it? And if there is a purpose for it, should we not have some recognition of that purpose? Are we not all aware of the purpose of the three-day weekend? Is the vice president not aware of Memorial Day? Is she not aware of why we have Memorial Day, what the purpose of it is. Is she not proud of the fact that we have Memorial Day? There's so many questions as to why she just characterized this as a long weekend and didn't make any mention of the fact that it is Memorial Day. So many questions. But I became aware of this supposed hubbub controversy, what have you, through LinkedIn. I follow the vice president of strategy at Black Rifle Coffee, Benjamin Owen, and I see him post things political on LinkedIn, and I like the things that he posts. I like the things that Black Rifle Coffee Company posts on LinkedIn. I like the things that Benjamin Owen posts on there, and so I follow them and very often engage here lately. And so this is something that he posted. Yesterday I saw it. I was one of the first people to comment. Actually, I was the first person to comment. And all I commented was dot, dot, dot. But it was a collage of, in the one corner, Vice President Harris posting to Twitter, enjoy the long weekend. And then three other images of veterans or the families of veterans acknowledging what Memorial Day is actually about. Caskets with American flags draped over them, loaded onto a plane somewhere to be flown home to the United States for burial. A loved one in some cemetery, some military cemetery, uh, in front of a grave of some soldier, seaman, or airman, or marine, that was obviously dear to them, bringing flowers and just camping out there 
trying to remember their loved one. That's what Memorial Day is about, is we're remembering those who have served our country in the armed forces in defense of liberty, in defense of this home of the free we call the United States of America. So it's an odd optic for the vice president to refer to this as just a long weekend. And it doesn't seem unintentional. It seems intentional. It seems like perhaps this is of a piece with the kneeling for the national anthem. Perhaps this is of a piece with the social justice movement and decrying our government, our nation, our entire culture, our entire existence as a people, as a country, decrying all of that as systemically racist and oppressive, and I'm not going to celebrate these wealthy, straight white men having institutionalized their own wealth and preferential treatment, their own privilege. Check your white privilege and don't celebrate Memorial Day, I guess. Except that a whole lot of our armed forces have not been white. They've been every race, every ethnicity of people who came to this country with the promise of liberty, with the promise of uh, property rights, uh, the promise of being able to keep what they own, to keep what they earn in order to build a better life for themselves, for their families. Liberty is not just some abstract idea in a vacuum that has no practical consequence in reality or which only has a practical benefit for those who are already wealthy. John Steinbeck once famously said that Americans, even those who are not wealthy, don't see themselves as poor. They see themselves as millionaires in the making temporarily on a hiatus, but they're on their way to wealth. They don't hold themselves or carry themselves even when they're poor, like they are poor. Now that was something he wrote and said and commented, which I'm paraphrasing, which is a hundred years old now and fairly dated compared to where we're at right now in an age of entitlement, in an age of victimhood run amok, where a lot of people when they are poor do now hang their heads. They do now shake their fists. They do now carry themselves in a dejected way. Like their life isn't worth anything if they're not wealthy, if they're not part of this empowered class. But it's important to note that most of this country's history has not been the tale of oppressor versus oppressed, like Howard Zinn would say in his A People's History of the United States. Most of this country's history has been one of men and women yearning to be free. What they do with that freedom is up to them as long as they don't break reasonable laws. And even if we have unreasonable laws, which we have had unreasonable laws at various times, but even if they do break those unreasonable laws because they should be broken, because they are unjust laws, as Martin Luther King Jr. once said, an unjust law is a law which does not comport with the natural law or God's law. 
even if they do break those unreasonable laws, there is a mechanism and many mechanisms in place to address that and redress that and appeal that. That's the idea of America, not that straight white men get to lord it over everybody else, every other class of people. That was not the promise of America. And to reduce American history and legacy and status in the world to racism, sexism, homophobia is an injustice. It is a lie from the pit of hell. And we shouldn't fall for it and we shouldn't endorse it and we shouldn't wink and nod at it and we shouldn't give it legitimacy just because the vice president wants to give credence to it or the president wants to give credence to it or Democrats in Congress want to use it as a lever to get their agenda accomplished. So I commented on this post on LinkedIn, dot, 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 because I'm somewhat without words. Like, what do you say to enjoy the long weekend? It's kind of a gotcha. It's a pretense at being friendly and giving a token acknowledgement that something is going on this weekend, but it's nebulous and like jello. It's like nailing jello to the wall to be upset about somebody wishing you an enjoyable long weekend. And yet it means something for what it omits. And the omission is either incompetence or it is unfriendly to the office which this person occupies wrongly by fraud for revolutionary aims. What do we do about that? Well, I think we honor those who served. We acknowledge that this Memorial Day, we have a lot to thank our military service members for, even if that embarrasses them to some extent. It's good to remind them of why they served and what it means to us, and to thank them for it. And so, for all of you veterans who are listening, those of you who gave years of your life, some of you who came back injured, and even if you weren't injured physically, you came back changed because of the nature of your service. Because if our country was attacked, you would have put your life on the line to defend our nation from enemies, foreign and domestic, even just having stepped up to that plate and preparing and thinking through the consequences for years and meditating on that and being around other people who were injured or who were killed or who who were targets for maiming or destruction and death by our enemies, you came back changed and it affected you There were years of your life with friends and family, pursuing a career, pursuing your own interest, which you put on the back burner while you served your country. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you for your service. And may God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. And may we be a country which can be so bold as to ask the God of the universe for blessings. May we be a nation of repentant, humble, contrite, but no less bold servants of the Most High, doing honor and justice to all who are made in God's image. May that be true of us.
Moving on to the main topic I want to talk about today in this episode. I watched a 60 Minutes video posted to YouTube. It looks like 7.5 million views have been tallied so far on YouTube since May 16th, 2021. The title of the video is Navy Pilots Describe Encounters with UFOs. We have 119,000 upvotes. We have 6.7 thousand downvotes. I don't know why the 6.7 thousand downvotes, except that 60 Minutes is still treating this with skepticism and still spending an inordinate amount of time in the 13 minutes and 47 seconds that this video runs, telling Air Force and Navy pilots that this sounds crazy. You know this sounds crazy, right? You, you realize that? You realize you, you sound like a nut job? Just to double check one more time, you are not insane, right? Okay, we get it. Why don't you focus on the topic at hand and just let them speak? <laughs> These people do not seem to be crazy at first blush. And increasingly in recent weeks and months, we have tacit admission from the United States government that UFOs are real. Now, let's unpack what that means. UFOs are real. What is a UFO? A UFO is an unidentified flying object. That's another way of saying we don't know what this is. We don't know what these are. We don't know what it is that we saw. We just know that we saw something and we can't explain it. We don't know who it belongs to. We don't know where it came from. We don't know where it went back to after we saw it. We know that these objects in our skies have been seen by a lot of military service members, a lot of civilians, a lot of folks who weren't looking for them. They were going about their business. They were doing their job. In the case of pilots, they were scrambled and they were up in the air and they're flying around and they're doing their normal routine. And what is this over here? What is that? I don't know. Let's go in for a closer look. Weird. Weird. It moves very quickly in directions that our aerial vehicles, our fighter jets, are not capable of moving so quickly. It's able to change directions, this thing that we're seeing, in a quicker fashion than we are able to account for. We do not have the capabilities of whatever this is. Now, as the pilots, fighter jet pilots, who are interviewed by Bill Whitaker, as they say, there's three possibilities. One is that these are developed vehicles by our own government, and they are just not being disclosed to all members of our military and public yet. Perhaps we have some technology being developed by some very smart people, and it's secret because we don't need our enemies knowing that we have this just yet. There's a lot of missions that we want to run that need to be off the books. And it's always good for your enemies, those who hate your country, to not know fully what you're capable of. 
for them to know actually that you're capable of more than what they know. So maybe they shouldn't try messing with you because you might surprise them. They might not be able to do the math fully on what to expect if they go up against you. So that's plausible. It's possible. But we have very high-level people overseeing our military at the highest levels we know of, unless there is, in fact, a deep state, which I think there is. And that could be what it is, is that you have a deep state that has kept this off the books, secret, to where even our civilian leaders of the military overseeing everything don't know all of what is going on there. Now, that's kind of an unnerving thought, but it is a possibility, and we have to include that in the possibilities. Another possibility is that these vehicles, these flying objects, whatever they are, have been developed by our adversaries, our competitors abroad, our enemies. Russia, China are the two primary suspects if these are not ours, but they are developed by some government or some military somewhere on Earth, that's a possibility. We develop things that we don't want our enemies necessarily to know about. We do reconnaissance. We do surveillance. We gather intelligence. And so do our enemies. So do all who are capable of doing so, so that they can make good decisions or so that they can maneuver where and how and when they need to. So that's a possibility, but it doesn't seem as likely, in my opinion, that these are things developed by our adversaries and our competitors. It seems more likely that these are developed by some wing of our military, some part of our government that is very top, top, top secret, exponentially top secret, as top secret as it gets. The third possibility, as these fighter pilots point out, is that these objects are a kind of technology that is not of this world, which is also to say that they are developed, owned, operated by some other race, which we have little to no knowledge of officially. I'm not saying it's aliens, but in that theory, it's aliens. That is a possibility. That is one theory. Those are pretty much the three theories. To be able to develop this level of technology as secretly as apparently whoever has made these things, is operating these things, has, is presumably beyond the capability of civilians and private persons and private corporations. This is presumably the realm of governments, of militaries, with vast resources. And if our government doesn't know fully about these things, presumably only other folks in our government have the capability of flying under the radar, no pun intended, in the development of these things, in the application of these things. So, which is more likely? That these UFOs, literally unidentified flying objects, are the product of our adversaries, national governments, or us, our national government, the federal government, 
or some other race not of this world that we have not encountered just yet or we don't know much about we haven't officially shaken hands with we don't have a CIA dossier we don't have a write-up we don't have a workup on just yet now what does it mean that 60 Minutes is doing a story on this and it goes up to YouTube and we're seeing footage from our military captured by our surveillance and monitoring equipment from cameras, from radar, from infrared images that are captured by our military hardware, our jets, our stations, our naval vessels. What does it mean that 60 Minutes is putting this out there, talking with people in our government, in our military, who have served in our government and in our military? What does it mean that we're being told this is a thing and we don't know much about it? We don't know where it comes from. We don't know who it belongs to. We don't know what the purpose of it is. We don't know where this is going. Why tell us that? Things could potentially be coming to a head And they realize the cat is just about to be out of the bag. And they're trying to prepare us for something that is about to be common knowledge. Maybe. It's a possibility. There may be a critical mass which has been reached. Which requires some level of disclosure. And they know more than they're letting on. But they want to tease the fact that they do know something about this. And they acknowledge that it is a thing before everything else comes unraveled and the extent of this situation is public knowledge. That's a possibility. Another possibility, which is my first suspicion, is that this is a distraction. What's that over there? What in the world could that be? As Wesley says when he's trying to switch cups with Vicini in The Princess Bride. They're having a battle of wits. He distracts him. Or is it Vicini that distracts Wesley? I think actually that's the way it goes. So who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy here? What are we being distracted from? Why are the cups being switched? Because the poison is in that cup instead of this cup. Maybe it's in both cups. Who knows? There's a lot of investigation into election fraud right now. And if you get all of the simple-minded people all worked up about UFOs, maybe... They don't pay attention to the election fraud investigations. Maybe they settle down. Maybe they just get into a mindset which says, be afraid, be very afraid. There are forces at work here much more powerful and secretive than you have any idea of. That could be a plausible explanation for why all of a sudden every news site I go to is talking about UFOs, and disclosures, and video, and the government letting us know that there's something here, something that we don't know. There are known knowns, and there are unknown knowns, and there are known unknowns, and there are unknown unknowns. This is a known unknown, as in there's something here that we know that we don't know. Should that be such an earth-shattering revelation? Not to those who are humble. It shouldn't. We should have it factored into the equation 
in every day of our lives that there's far more that we don't know and we don't fully comprehend in the universe, in our lives, even in our day-to-day. There's far more that we don't fully comprehend and know than there is that we do. So should it scare us? Should it terrify us? If our government is flying around, watching our skies, watching our airspace, and encountering routinely, by the admission of one pilot, on a daily basis, things in the skies, some kind of technology, some kind of vehicle, which we cannot explain or account for, and we cannot match in its capabilities. Should that terrify us? I really don't think so. And I'll tell you why. When I read my Bible, Old Testament to New Testament, there is this person I read about who is very other. He is eternal. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is holy. He knows all. He is sovereign over creation. In fact, the fact that there is a creation is thanks to him because he is the creator. He rules and reigns over all that is and all that ever has been. This person is God. And our government does not have the capabilities that he has. In fact, no government on earth has the capabilities that he has. And that is all for the best. That is all for the best when you consider what is in the hearts and minds of men. Besides God, and between us and God, there are in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, if we're just speaking broadly and generically, there are other persons. In fact, there seem to be a whole race of other persons who are not human. They're not man. They're not woman. They're not mankind created in God's image. And they're also not God. And they're not animals. They're not deer and cats and dogs and bears and snakes and birds. And they're not fish. And they're not all these other types of creature. There's some other type of creature. They're similar to man to the point that when some of them come to Sodom to escort Lot and his family out of the city before God destroys it, the men of the town think that these two persons are men. They think that they are men and they come trying to beat down Lot's door so that they can have sex with these two persons who they think are men because they're homosexuals in the city of Sodom. And that's part of why God's destroying the city of Sodom. It's totally corrupt, absolutely depraved. Homosexuality is not the only way in which the city is depraved, but it's one of the ways in which the city is depraved and has rebelled against God and his created order has become corrupt, wholly corrupt. These two persons who come to the city of Sodom to get Lot and his family out are what in English we very often refer to as angels. An angel is just a messenger. That's all the word really translates back to. I believe angelos is the root, but I could be wrong. Somebody correct me, please, so I can become more wise. But they're messengers. Broadly speaking, there are different types of persons in the heavenly hosts between God and man. Cherubim, seraphim, 
for instance. What's a cherubim? What's a seraphim? We don't know much, oddly enough. We see them referenced, mentioned. But it feels a little bit like when I'm talking to my kids. And I mentioned in passing that we're doing XYZ, so I need you guys to do A, B, and C and be quick about it. Well, wait a second. What is X? What is X? Okay, well, I'm going to explain it very, very briefly if you asked, if we have time. But maybe you won't fully understand, and maybe we don't have time for me to explain X, Y, and Z just yet. Just know that it is happening, and it is in the mix. And you focus on the A, B, and the C. I need you to do A, B, and C. That's your task. And you don't need to fully comprehend X, Y, and Z to know that it's happening. This is happening. It's part of what is happening. It is part of what is about to happen and has happened. And you just need to focus on your A, B, and C. Okay? Listen to mom. Listen to dad. Go. That's how it feels very often when we read about whoever these beings are between God and man that in English we commonly refer to as angels. That's a catch-all term that we use. It's not precise because... There are distinctions. I don't know if those distinctions are entirely based on role. Like at work, I'm an IND technician, instrumentation and electronics. There are also operators. We're all employees of the company. We're all of the same type of creature, but we have different roles. And so I am called a technician, and that guy over there is called an operator. And that guy over there is a mechanic. And that guy over there is a roustabout. And that guy over there is a third-party contractor. We're all human beings. We're all of the same race. But we have different roles. So is that what the whole cherubim and seraphim and archangel business is about in the Bible? Maybe. It could be. Would it be too hard for God to create different races of beings between us and him? No. Do we read that he does? No, not really. He doesn't explain himself. He doesn't have to explain himself to us. He is not obligated. And we are on a need-to-know basis, right? (laughs) That's the big idea. The Bible is not there for us to read and become masters of the universe and to ascend to the Most High in the sense of setting our throne above the Most High and becoming gods over God. That's not the point of the Bible. If you were approaching it that way, you have another thing coming, and it might be judgment. But God tells us, since he is the master of the universe, in passing, that he has servants. And when we're in right relationship, we are his servants. We're created for a purpose, on purpose. Our purpose is not to be masters of the universe per se. Our calling, our command, originally given to our forefather Adam, given to our forefather Noah, was to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Created in his image, we're supposed to fill the earth and subdue it. And we're not told that we're supposed to fill the universe, the whole galaxy, all of the planets. We're supposed to fill this planet and subdue this planet. That doesn't mean he won't permit us to send vehicles out into space and to look around. Obviously, he has allowed us to do that so far. How much further will he allow us to get? Only God knows. But it's conceivable 
and there's nothing in the text to preclude this or to exclude this possibility. But it's conceivable that God created life to be fruitful and multiply, fill other planets and subdue it. Our role is to fill the earth, this planet, and subdue it. And it's conceivable that God, being the creative genius that he is, being able to do whatever it enters his mind to do, that he desires to do, whatever pleases him, whatever seems good to him, it's conceivable that he creates life on other planets and only mentions it in passing and doesn't explain himself because he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to explain it to us fully. In fact, the way that he answers Job, when Job, when Job is just asking about his own personal business, right? You could tell Job, mind your own business. Well, he's trying to, kind of, sort of. He's trying to mind the business of his relationship to God and his relationship to his wife and his children and his relationship to his servants and to his wealth and to his community, to his friends and what God has allowed to happen to him in the book of Job, giving Satan the ability to mess with his life, to take everything from him except for his life. That is his business, presumably, but more to the point, it's God's business. It's only Job's business insofar as it pleases God for it to be Job's business. And when Job asks for 30 plus chapters, why, 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 the response he gets is, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Did you advise me? Did you tell me where to place things? Did you instruct me? Right? Know your place. That's the big idea there. The, the rhetorical question is another way of saying you need to remember who you are in relation to me, who I am in relation to you and the universe and all time and space forever. Eternity stretching backwards and forwards. You're not able to fathom this. You need to just think about that for a second and then we'll re-engage because you need to be recalibrated. These UFOs could conceivably, without contradicting anything in the scriptures, they could conceivably be evidence that God created life on other planets or that these intermediate beings between God and man are still in the mix. Now, would that shock the Christian who knows his Bible? It shouldn't. There's no statement in the text saying that the beings we read about in the text cease to exist. Jesus casts demons out of people who are being oppressed by demons in the New Testament during his public ministry. His disciples cast demons out. But they don't vaporize demons those demons don't cease to exist. In fact, in the case of Legion, when Jesus encounters a man who's being oppressed by a legion of demons and he casts those demons out, those demons go into a herd of pigs, which then proceeds to lose its mind and go over a cliff into the ocean. Where do the demons go after that? We're on a need-to-know basis, and we apparently don't need to know it's not the main point. I'm curious. If you're curious too, I think we can be forgiven that. I don't think there's anything wrong with wondering. But it's also important to note that God didn't feel the need to let us know. 
And that's all right. And what is in the text and what is not in the text and the proportion of what is in the text relative to the other things that are in the text is important to biblical study and meditation. Meditating on God's word and all scripture being God-breathed and suitable, it's important for us to note when God mentions something in passing and then moves on because that's not the main point he's trying to communicate to us. Obviously, us having a firm and definite knowledge and understanding of whatever it is that these fighter pilots are encountering in the skies is not necessary to our salvation. And yet, we don't, I don't, I certainly don't think that we jeopardize our salvation. We don't jeopardize our salvation by wondering, what is that? What's going on here? You have in the case of the nativity story, shepherds who are guarding their flocks at night in the Judean foothills, when all of a sudden a heavenly host appears in the skies above and announces to them that the Messiah has been born in Bethlehem. They are very afraid. In fact, every time people encounter angels in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they are very afraid, with the exception of those who are on an intimate basis with the Most High God. They've already got their fear in full measure, and it doesn't rightfully belong to the angels. It rightfully belongs to God. My fear belongs to God. I don't have any despair for his servants or his enemies. I only feel fear towards the Most High God, and I trust him. And if you're here on behalf of him, then I still fear God. And if you're here in opposition to him, then I place my trust in God and you are not able to do anything to me which the Most High God does not permit you to do. So I trust in him. Either way, I trust in the Lord. I've watched a lot of science fiction and I've read a lot of science fiction. And the whole topic of aliens coming to Earth, invading the planet with hostile intentions and being overwhelming in their superiority, superiority, can't talk, superiority, the whole idea of them being so overwhelmingly superior to us is terrifying to people who thought that we were masters of the universe. Haven't met anybody else. Well, you could have. You would have if you had been looking in God's word. Those of us who believe in the Most High God, who belong to the Most High God, look at those movies in which, let's take Independence Day, for instance. An alien fleet comes to Earth. It has bad intentions. It desires to eradicate us and colonize the planet, presumably, harvest our resources, presumably. We are being wiped out, and who is there to save us in the day of our destruction? Those who know the Most High God and believe in Him and fear Him have an answer to that question. We're not hoping for some other benevolent alien race to come and fight off the malevolent alien race, except insofar as we believe in angels and demons. We believe that there are these created beings, intermediate God and man, 
in between God and man. And Paul references in the New Testament when he is rebuking one of the churches he writes an epistle to. He mentions, as he's talking about this question of judgment, that we will judge angels. Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more so the matters pertaining to this life? We'll judge angels? What? Wait, 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 wait. Paul, back up. Back up, back up, back up, back up, back up, back up, back up. Let's talk about that a little bit more. What What do you mean we're going to judge angels? No. He moves on, right? That wasn't the main point. We're on a need-to-know basis. And maybe we don't need to know fully just yet. But if he said it, all scripture is God-breathed, suitable, suitable for doctrine, for correction, for rebuke, for instruction in his righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We know what we need to know from that passage. We can probe it. We can turn it over in our hands and in our minds. We can think about it, meditate on it. We should. But if we don't know after all of that fully what he's talking about just yet, that's fine. We trust in the Lord and we press on and we be about our Father's business in imitation of Christ. These UFOs, so-called, very well could be life not from this world and not of mankind, if, in fact, that is what they are. My suspicion, my theory, is that they are those intermediate beings between God and man, whether they are the angels who remained loyal, who served alongside Michael, or whether they are the angels who rebelled with Lucifer and were thrown out of heaven, I don't know. If they're not attacking our aircraft, they could be either. When the serpent came into the Garden of Eden, the serpent being Satan, Lucifer, he did not come biting, he came lying, he came deceiving. Hath God said? He came tempting, he came trying to get something modified, adjusted, tweaked, corrupted. When Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert during his 40 days in the wilderness, fasting, praying after he's baptized, Lucifer, Satan, the devil, does not come with a sword swinging it at Jesus. They don't get into a lightsaber battle. They have a theological debate. It is written, Jesus responds, when Satan tries to twist scripture because that's all he has to work with ever in the material and in the physical and in the spiritual and in the emotional and in the intellectual. All Satan and his lackeys have to work with is what God has already created. They don't have the ability to create ex nihilo. They are not omnipotent. They are not omniscient. They are not omnipresent. They are not eternal. They are created beings. So if we have flying objects, if we have vehicles in the skies above our country and we can't match them technologically, that does not mean we are at the mercy of conceivably, presumably, theoretically, these aliens, these folks from not around here. It does not mean that we are at their mercy. It does not mean that we need to fear them. We fear God. If they are here on his business, on his behalf, or 
if he's just letting them do what they will for right now, either way, we trust in the Lord and in his mercies and in his provision and in his perfect timing. We will know what we need to know when we need to know it. And in the meantime, we know what we need to know. We have what we need to know. And we should be doing what God has purposed for us to be doing. We should be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. We should be productive in our faith. We should be obeying God's commands and fearing him alone. A fun little thing, and then we'll wrap up. We'll call this good for today. My second-born son, Elihu James Mullet, Elihu being the name of the youth in the book of Job, the only one who really comes out unscathed from the book of Job, humanly speaking. That son turns 13 next month, June 25th. You can wish him a happy birthday. And Eli, as we very often call him, or Elihu James Mullet when he's in trouble, or just Elihu when I'm feeling formal, turning 13, we're going to go on a trip. Just he and I, father, son. This is a tradition that we have picked up and started. I took his older brother to Rapid City, to Mount Rushmore, to Bear Country, USA, to Reptile Gardens last year when he turned 13. And I asked Eli, where do you want to go? What sounds good? What sounds like fun? I've got the vacation time set aside and reserved. And he wants to go to Carlsbad, New Mexico. I've never been to Carlsbad, New Mexico. That sounds like fun. Okay, cool. Like hopefully we can get into the Carlsbad caverns. I've never been to anything like that before. That sounds like fun. That sounds like an adventure. We'll explore that together. Just he and I will have some good conversation. We'll have some good food. We'll see some things we've never seen before. We'll talk about life. And we'll celebrate the fact that he has now become a teenager. On the way to Carlsbad, New Mexico, is a little town you may have heard of called Roswell, New Mexico. And I've never been there either. In fact, I don't know of anybody who's ever been there personally, except for one guy at work who told me recently he's been there a couple of times. And the first time he was pretty unimpressed. It was pretty cheesy. Not much to see. Area 51 is nearby, and you can hire somebody to take you on a tour driving around the outside perimeter of Area 51, and security inside the facility will follow you to make sure you don't try any funny business. I don't think we'll probably do that, but we might get close enough to where we can actually see, hey, there is Area 51. Cool. Neato. That's not the main thing we're going to see. We're going to go to Carlsbad, but on the way, why not? Why not stop off, see what it is, take some pictures, get some photo op, say we've been there. Maybe we'll see some UFOs. I'm skeptical we will, but it'd be fun. Most of the time, honestly, between you and me, when I see things flying above, they are UFOs because I don't know what they are. And that's fine, right? Out at work in Weld County, Colorado, we have in our vicinity, in our area, a lot of nuclear facilities. And a lot of people don't know that that stuff is out there. 
even people that kind of live and work in the region and have for a number of years don't realize that that's out there. But there's nuclear sites, nuclear facilities, nuclear missiles out there. And we see convoys from time to time of Humvees and semis pulling trailers, uh, helicopters in the sky trailing these convoys to make sure that they're scouting the road ahead. You see soldiers on the turrets of Humvees, loaded, locked and loaded, ready to deal with and eliminate any threat which might present itself to the nuclear uh, weapons. A guy I work with, Scott Walston, he's told me he was on the phone with somebody while driving one time, pulled off at the entrance to one of these facilities without thinking about it so that he wouldn't lose his phone call, lose his cell service going down into a little valley over the next hill. He said he wasn't there five minutes and military personnel in Humvees showed up asking very seriously, what are you doing here? Please move along. He hasn't done that again. I haven't done that. I have no intention of doing that. But with that, we also have sightings of what people have thought were drones at night in the skies in this area. The military supposedly doesn't know what they are, who they belong to. Local law enforcement supposedly doesn't know who they are, where they came from, who they belong to, what they're doing. That doesn't mean there's not an answer. God knows. That doesn't mean that we should be afraid, be very afraid. It just means there's something going on. As for me, I'm going to go about my business. I'll think about it every now and then, and if I see something, I might scratch my head, but I'm not worried. You shouldn't be either. That's all we got. That's all there is for this episode. As always, thank you for listening, and I'd love to hear your story. If you've ever seen something that you couldn't explain that was moving in odd ways, flying low to the ground quietly, and then all of a sudden it disappeared. I'd love to hear your story. I like those kinds of stories. I find them fun. If you have your own theory on what's going on with all this business, if you agree with one of my theories that I laid out, I'm curious. love to talk about it with you. But I'm going to leave it there. That's all we've got for today. As always, thank you for listening. And until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.